save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegen Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Manu Vest. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, pretty good. How about you, Bryce? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a been a fun weekend. We've got plenty to talk about, as always. We've even got a few questions um, from uh, listeners on Twitter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited. But, um, yeah, joining the, the both of us, as always, I suppose, is uh, Chris Williams. Bryce, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Sorry, I couldn't hear you for a second, but I can now. All good. No, that's good. That's good that we've got you anyway. I, I thought maybe you'd just fallen asleep after that final game of <laughs> Hanover Wolves. Oh, my word. What a dreadful game that was. Good goal, though. I'm sure we'll get to that. But, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good game at all, was it? It was, um, it was as bad as the pitch, as you pointed out. Yeah, very much. That was, that was bad. That was, we should have, we should have known that it was possibly going to be that poor when we seen the state of that ground, didn't we? But, um, Oh, yeah, it definitely uh, didn't finish on a high this week, uh, Bundesliga action. But let's start right back at the start, all the way back to Friday evening, uh, where we've seen a, a somewhat more entertaining and interesting game. Where we've seen Eintracht Frankfurt, who have had a fantastic season so far, uh, taking on Bruce Imwich and Gladbach, who have been a little bit up and down. Um, the game finished 2-0. Um, Frankfurt then were lifted to second in the table for a little bit. Uh, but um, let, let's talk about their opponents first. Uh, Bruce Munch and Gladbach. I almost feel because we've had a loss to them that we we should have John McKenzie on here, but but we don't. Um, Manu, let, let's go to you first. Though, what's causing this uh, inconsistency uh, in Gladbach? I mean, at times they look fantastic. Other times they just don't show up at all. I thought they were a bit bland. For lack of better terms, I th- I think that they they just lack a little bit of creativity, and uh, at the same time, I also feel that they don't. You can really tell that they don't have an all-in-out striker in that lineup. Um, of course, Torgen Hazard playing up front, he's not really a striker. I mean, he's at best a false number nine. Lars Stindl is more the 
Thomas Müller kind of player. And um, when Raphael plays up there, he's a converted number 10 playing as a striker as well. So I think they just lack that that the final punch through in the final third. It's really the, the really the biggest thing that is lacking in that side and it has been lacking for quite some time because when you look at the rest of the side they're they're very deep but if you wanna if you want to win games and if you want to win against teams like Frankfurt that are so well organized and defensively so difficult to play I think you need someone who can just crack open the nut and they don't have someone like that I think that's really the number one criticism for me when it comes to Gladbach and sometimes it's just a little bland to watch and then other times they're just very exciting and it's it's very difficult to see um which of the two sides are showing up but yeah i thought yeah not not the most exciting team but i mean they did also miss a penalty right chris so I, everything could have been uh, worked out a very very different if they had scored a penalty yeah they were i mean i did their match report i uh, did a live blog on football start and then the match report after it uh, which you can find on footballstart.com, but they were very, very poor. Um, I had to spin 200 words out of that, Bryce, at one point, how poor Gladbach were. Um, they just didn't seem at the races. That's a massive football cliche, but I'm going to use it. And I don't know. I think it's because I was lucky enough to watch Frankfurt the week before. They just looked a more hungry side. They looked like they knew where they wanted to be. And, and the identity of this Gladbach side looks a little lost to me. And, yeah, it's not really the most the team that strikes fear into anyone. The four four two they played, I thought, was very bland. The, the four across the middle weren't particularly that good. And and then, as Manu said, Stindl dropped really deep. I mean, Stindl was so far deep at some point he was at the edge of the um, center circle. I mean, that's no good if you're playing two up front, or even if you want to play you know a one one. You can't have your striker that deep, but. He was looking for the ball, wasn't he? Because he was getting frustrated. But yeah, they were they were bullied. I mean, we all know Frankfurt are stronger. Man, we spoke a lot of times about how strong Frankfurt are. But again, they're very strong, and they just bullied them. Um, yeah, I think they were lucky to get that penalty that Hazard missed. Um, I, I didn't think it was on the replay on a television replay, but. Yeah, they, mm. nothing grabs me about Gladbach at the moment that goes. Oh, they're an exciting side to watch. Yeah, although we did think that this could be an exciting game, which it was, but not because of Gladbach, um, mostly because of what Frankfurt is, did in this game and has done for many weeks now. So we were excited about this game, but yeah, it's it's weird because Gladbach can be, can be, it could be an exciting side, I guess, um, but they really are not right now. It's it's an odd one for me. They, I think, they, where they are on the table at the moment. Um, which is seventh is about where I would rank them in terms of, you know, I think that's, that's a position that fits very well to their the current strength. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a fair position, I, I would say for them at the moment. I mean, we can give them their due. So the, the match is 90 minutes long, but I thought they were poor for maybe 70 of that. Just after half time, they had a really, really good spell. The bar was hit. Um, you know, they had some fantastic attacking. Um, Kisant's a French guy. He was, he was very busy for about 10, 15 minutes, but then they didn't get the goal they needed. And it's like they ran out of an idea and, and then they sat back mm. for some reason. And then, um, Jovic, the substitute came on it and did exactly what he did in Wolfsburg when I was there last weekend, which was score a very late goal. Um, so 
you can only applaud Nico Kovac's Frankfurt at the moment for playing very, very well. And, you know, they were at second, um, albeit only for, what, 12 hours or so. But I think that's a, a good indication of how well they're doing this season because I think it'll be interesting. We've said before, especially last season as well, and, and potentially the season before that, Frankfurt just dropped off rapidly from about now until May. So it'll be interesting to see how they cope with that and, and if they finally got over that mindset and can they put a run together because I think they'd be a really good Europa League team, Manu. Yeah, especially with what they're doing now. I think that they, they have learned from last year and I, I feel that they are a very deep side and um, Haller, of course, is someone, he, although he didn't score this this time around, someone who we highlighted last week, um, but also Kevin Burns Boateng was in the twilight of his career really finding finding his legs again, that, that goal he scored to open Frankfurt scoring was fantastic. It was such determination. He went into a ball that, you know, you know that's going to hurt when you go for that. And he did it regardless. And um, he fits that power football that Frankfurt play really well. And so the, this, this goes straight to the goal. Very athletic, very powerful, um, overly aggressive at times football. Kevin Prince Boateng fits that very well. And I think that goal pretty much for me underlined the way Frankfurt are playing right now because it was, it was a straight ball in and Kevin Prince Boateng, no prisoners taken, straight line to that goal, straight line for that ball, pounced on that ball and boom. And you could, you could hear that smack when that ball went in. You could just tell the power that was behind the, behind this, uh, the execution, right? And I thought that very much underlined it for me, the, the way Frankfurt are playing. And Jovic's goal to, to seal the deal was pretty much the same thing. It was a straight line, powerful attack through the center, um, no nonsense and, a smacking shot, um, beautiful goal as well. And I think that Frankfurt right now, they look like that side that they have a lot of very good footballers in their team and they have a coach that knows how to put them on the field. And I feel that, I feel that with that side, they, they are not even on the very, they haven't reached the ceiling yet. And I think that is something that is, that is fascinating because, um, Europa League, maybe, but they're currently fourth, Chris. I mean, Champions League might be a bit a step too far, but unlike last year, that fourth spot gets you straight into the group stage, right? It's a yeah. huge difference. So, um, and they have the kind of financial power, um, because of the city that if they reach the Champions League, that, that could really set something in motion in Frankfurt, um, which is something that we were hoping for, for one of the big cities to happen in German football to begin with. Just think the Champions League at the minute might be a competition too far for them. They, they remind me of a very clinical early 90s German side where, and, and I say this without any disrespect, but where it's not your free-flowing, um, tippy-tappy, gegenpressing, ticky-tack or whatever you want to call it. It's very, very clinical football. It's, it's very um, incisive. It just cuts teams apart and scores at will, and then is very, very strong. It's almost like watching what I would call a traditional football side, and that's why I think the Champions League may leave them exposed, but the Europa League, where you get you know the, the sides from, not that always that are in Europe's premier competition, or the sides that finish just outside, six, sevens, etc., I think they could do really, really well in that competition. 
Well, guys, I suppose that brings us to the Twitter question uh, we've received from uh, one of our regular listeners. Um, a Twitter handle, at Der Lemke, has asked, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, is their play of late sustainable? The game on Friday was a ton of fun to watch. Uh, we'll go back to you, Chris. Um, obviously, you were reporting on this one. Uh, do you think they will be able to sustain this? You mentioned that last year they had a hell of a drop-off after Christmas. Uh, do, do you see them then staying in these positions and possibly getting that European spot? I can, actually, because last season they were um, beset by injury. If you remember what happened to Marco Fabian, and then he was out for so long, and that coincided with a really bad run for them. And you know, We mentioned it on the last pod that they had a lot of ill-discipline, their tempers boiled over, whereas they seem to have got that in check. And All right, they put two back-to-back victories together, which is a start of a good run. It's how can they develop from that? But at the moment, especially by the way I said a little bit earlier, it's the type of football that playing suits them 100%, which is if they want to hold on to the ball for five minutes, they can. And then all of a sudden they'll spot this forward pass and it'll be one pass that'll cut the team in half and they can score from it. And then they can sit back and just bully you out the game. So I think they can sustain it, especially, and Manu mentioned it last week, especially with all the players that they've got coming back round about now. It's a completely different season for them than last yeah, Marco Fabian is still missing, Bryce, right? Someone we're really familiar with. And I think we can add even more to the side once he's, once he's fit. So I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it stop anytime soon. And next week's match is in Augsburg. Um, and that's, I'm not saying it's going to continue, but it's, it's a doable opponent for them, right? And I think that's also going to be a bit of a test for them because, um, beating, beating someone like Gladbach who actually plays football is one thing, but Augsburg, you know, then it, that will really show if that run is sustainable. And I think deeper we get, um, into the, the Rückrunde, the more we can see how much Kovac has learned from the things that happened last year. And we, we talk about the, the injuries is one thing. And I think the injuries, a lot of the injuries were probably down to the way they were playing, um, and the lack of squad depth that they had. But it was also the, a lot of the players were missing because of a yellow and red card epidemic, um, which was also down to their playing style. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see if Nico Kovac has learned from that, um, from last season and if he is drawn the right conclusions and can carry that momentum that they have into deeper into the second half of the, the season. And I think that's really, really something that we need to watch over, over the coming weeks. It certainly is exciting times uh, for Eintracht. If we look back, they've they've actually not been beaten their last five. Uh, the last time they lost was to uh, Bayern Munich, which is uh, no mean feat whatsoever, as we know. Uh, so things are definitely uh, looking positive. Um, Manu, just to go back, uh, Nico Kovac, is he being linked with any uh, bigger clubs after you know a hell of a season so far? I mean, seems like anyone that has a run of uh, positive games seems to get linked with uh, the likes of uh, the bigger clubs uh, in the league and, and in Europe. Well, there's this list that went around just before Christmas, um, possible Bayern replacements, and um, he was on that list. But he's been very outspoken about the fact that he's not going to Bayern next year. Um, and I, I, I believe it. And it's, it's interesting that Freddie Bobic, his sporting director, in the meantime, has said uh, he knows who the new head coach is going to be. And we're all very well networked in the business. And uh, we we all know who it is going to be. And then <laughs> that down. But it's, you know, where there's, where there's smoke, there's fire, right, Chris? We've seen that so many times that when a name like that 
uh, when someone mentions something like that, then they usually seem to know a little bit more. It was the same with Mario Basler um, predicting that Ancelotti would be gone soon, and then soon after it happened. They, these people usually do know a little bit uh, about what is happening and what's going on. Mm, interesting indeed. Yeah, I suppose we'll know all in good time what happens with the uh, Baron job. But guys, just one last um, question that I suppose I have on uh, Gladbach, and and that was uh, we mentioned that possible striker. Um, is where the problem lies at the moment. I mean, you've got Bob Delia and Raphael, both are injured, um, unsure as to when exactly they'll come back. I mean, Chris, would it have made a big difference if the likes of Bob Delia, an out-and-out striker, had been on the pitch for them on Friday? And with us not knowing when they're going to be back, do you see them possibly bringing in a striker before the transfer window closes? Well, I don't know if a striker would have helped them on Friday because they were feeding off scraps, so it was the midfield for me that weren't able to provide um, the forwards with any sort of any sort of meat on the bones, I suppose. So, will it have helped on um, on Friday night? Maybe if they would have had a big target man, you know, six foot two, six foot three, um, someone like Anthony Modest, and they could have prayed a little bit like Cologne did last season, which was go long when they needed to on occasion. I think that that could have worked, but. Oh, it's a hard one, Price. I mean, who do they bring in? Because I don't know if it's all about the striker. I think they have no identity and at the moment. And it's it's going to be telling for them because all I can see them is slipping down the league a little bit further. I mean, they're seventh at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if they, um, if they were, what, eighth next week? Yeah, it is that close, isn't it? Um, we'll just have to see... Um... What way that pans out, but guys, let's move on to a team which um, are having uh, no problems. Uh, nobody's near them, and that's uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, Chris, you covered for Football Grad Network the game against Hoffenheim. Um, Julian Nagelsmann was hoping to uh, set a bit of a record by going unbeaten once again um, against them, but that didn't happen. Even though they were two nil up at the start of the game, the game finished five two. Uh, Chris, how entertaining was this? Right, this was a real treat for me. I haven't watched Bayern Munich live since I was up at Celtic for the um, Champions League game when we did that live from Celtic Park, which was a fantastic experience. So it's the first time I've seen them live. I've only seen them on catch-ups. I've either done other teams or I've been keeping my eye on Dortmund. And do you know what? It was a real thrill to watch Bayern play. I thought they were excellent, um, apart from the first 12 minutes when they were dreadful. Uh, and... We've said it on occasion that Bayern looked beatable at times, and that that first twelve minutes, woof, they were horrendous. And Hoffenheim quite rightly um, rifled into a two-goal lead, but then, it, you know, I said at the end of the match, Bayern did what Bayern do best, and they almost went. Actually, it's taken two goals for us to go down here. We need to wake up. And the next twelve minutes, they turned it round. And once that second one went in, um, Bryce, once um, Boateng got that second goal. It was only going to end one way this game and Hoffenheim went to pieces a little bit like when I saw them at Anfield in the Champions League. They just completely went to pieces. Um, unbelievable. And it was a really, really good game. If you're looking for a game to sell the league, this was it because it was back and two, back and two. Even when um, Bayern were up three and even four, two, Hoffenheim didn't just sit back. They went and had a go, which I think is a, is a real good positive for Nagelsmann and his side is they weren't happy to just sit back and go, I'll tell you what, we'll just close the door now and we'll take a 3-2 defeat here and we'll you know get away with our tail between our legs. They did look for it, but Bayern's um, class out outdid them in the end and there was a beautiful passage of play, which 
uh, resulted in in a fantastic goal and they were a real real joy to watch um, and, and yeah I very much enjoyed it and watching Arturo Vidal as well he was my man of the match he, he was just omnipresent Bryce it was a fantastic game to watch yeah fantastic yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Manu we did mention that uh, Julian Nagelsmann was very close wasn't he to uh, being joint uh, in the uh, record books with the uh, longest sustained uh, undefeated record as a, as a coach is that correct longest sustained undefeated record to start your career with against Bayern okay, uh, okay. only Ernst Tappel and um, what they have down Kuhn and Ernst Happel, of course, is one of the most legendary coaches in the European game. So they managed to um, stay unbeaten in their first four games against Bayern. And um, they took Bayern five games each time to, to defeat um, their respective manager. Um, Nagelsmann, I guess, uh, when they were up 2-0, we all thought that that might happen. But uh, yeah, Chris, I, I'm kind of jealous that you got to cover this one. <laughs> it's, it, it looked like a lot more fun than the, the game. I got to cover, but it's, uh, I guess I got to cover Bayern so much. So sooner or later I had to buy it into the sour apple and take another one. And, uh, I think that Bayern, I think, you know, Bayern get a lot of stick, uh, including from us for what they do with the league, with the players that they sign and the players that they bring in. Um, but then they, on the same time, the, when you watch them and you watch them play and you see them perform, it's one thing to be complaining about all the records and the, um, the records that they hold and the records that they win and currently what they're doing with the dominance over the league. But maybe it's also just time to sit back and look at it and say, well, this is, this is amazing stuff. We're seeing football history written here right in front of our eyes. We're seeing a team play possibly the most efficient football in, in all of Europe. And, um, I guess there is, there is a beauty in that and something that we sometimes doesn't maybe get acknowledged often enough because your pankers took over the side and really turned them around, um, in amazing fashion. And at times when they play, they're just, I mean, you must have seen that too, Chris, right? They just turn on one gear up and then it's just incredible what they do. It's just, absolutely unexplainable unless you've seen it live best possibly in the stadium where where you just see them go into action and just do what they do best which is just win games and i think i wouldn't even say that they necessarily there's other teams in this league that have similar talent but for some reason they just have that mentality to get the job done which is something that you don't often see in world football no you don't and there's a great instance of this where um Offenheim were just starting to come back into the game after half-time, and then it was, they just hit another gear. They all of a sudden just stepped up, and uh, and they hit um, Offenheim on the break, but it was so clinical, and it was such good football. And um, Lewandowski just fed a delightful ball to Coburn, and he just drilled it, and I put in a match report, he drilled it from the edge of the box, and it was fantastic, because he just skipped past Vote if, if, if he wasn't there. Um it's hard to it's hard to criticize it because it's it's really good football to watch, um, and they are still a little beatable, and, and we've seen that on occasion, especially the earlier part of the season. And for the first twelve minutes of this match, they looked awful. But you know, as we both said, it's that ability and that mentality to just flick into 
a title win inside, and that's what they did, and they just steamrolled them away after that. And it must be a horrible thing to be as a, as an away side in the Alliance. And if you're two goals up and you're on top of the world, and all of a sudden those two goals come back very quickly, that pitch will be twice as big um, in a matter of minutes, and you will feel all the pressure from around you, and the, the crowd is very noisy as well. Um, it's a real melting pot to play in, and it was a real joy to cover Bayern, um, and I shall probably do it a little bit often, um, a little bit more often now than, than I've done previously. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper, and now adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. In this game, seen uh, the fifth goal come from Sandro Wagner, who got his first goal for the club since his return. Um, Wagner, after the game, said that well, declared that he was the best German striker at present. Uh, Chris, uh, would you agree with that? Is he the best at the moment? We always talk about Timo Werner being uh, possibly the the best one to lead the line when they go to the World Cup. But um, also, how important is it that for Bayern that they keep? him fit and in goal-scoring form for the rest of the season, especially with the Champions League? Well, it's very important they keep him fit because he came on with a point to prove and, you know, he scored his goal that he got. And, and I like to see it, Bryce, because he'd been at Hoffenheim, but he, he wasn't one of these muted celebrations. He was running up to the crowd and banging a badge on his shirt. So he was very happy that he scored and he's obviously very happy to be at Bayern. Do I think he's the best German striker at the moment? No, not at all. Timo Werner is head and shoulders above him. Um, and I think if I was Joachim Lowe, um, Timo Werner would be my starting man up front. Um, for you know, I wouldn't change that as a fact. Um, Sandro Wagner called himself the best striker in German football last season, and then went on a horrendous downturn of form. So um, he probably should have learned um, from from saying that from last season. I mean, no doubt he's going to be a crucial element to this Bayern side, especially as you mentioned with the Champions League coming on. Um, Obviously, they're still going all guns in Napokal as well, and, and they'll have an eye on doing the treble. Um, so he will be needed for that. And he'll probably now get quite a few games in the Bundesliga because they're 16 points clear, um, and they'll be able to uh, to mix and match their squad a little bit with big games coming up midweek. So um, I'd expect him to get a lot more chances, but I, I don't think he's the best striker, uh, best German striker at the moment. Um, but he has got the potential now he's at Bayern to you know, maybe become one of the best. Um, and we've obviously sang the praises of uh, Julian Nagelsmann uh, several times over. Uh, but what exactly is happening with Hoffenheim at the moment? Um, we spoke about it a little bit last week, but you know they failed to get a victory in four games uh, now. And um, yeah, just a little bit concerning their form. I mean, I suppose losing to Bayern Munich, uh, as I said, is no mean feat. But uh, next week they might be happier to play someone like Hertha Berlin. Yeah, um, I guess I guess they've been found out a little. And I mean, basically, I, I stay with stick with all the things that I said last week on the podcast. That uh, I feel that Julian Nagelsmann is doing a little bit of growing up right now in front 
in front of for everyone to see live on camera. And that's fine. I mean, he's a 30 year old coach and I don't want to say he's not talented because he is. He's a massive. He is. Um, he will have a world career ahead of him. But, you know, it's not always happy times in the Bundesliga. And, and this, this, pro, this profession is brutal. Um, football is a brutal business. And I think at the moment he's just learning and he's getting to learn the other side of it a little bit, which is, I think if he draws the right conclusion out of it is, it's just going to be fine for him. I think if you go up 2-0 against Bayern and you lose 5-2, um, that can happen. But at the same time, we've seen last year, for example, that that would be enough for them to win a game. And maybe that's just something that, that he's found out a little bit. Someone like your Pank is who's very experienced. Um, it's, it's really remarkable that this 70-year-old coach is... Uh, basically teaching all these young guns in the Bundesliga a massive lesson at the moment. And I think Julian Nagelsmann is one of them. So, you know, Rice, I think he's still going to have a great career ahead of him, but I think he's just doing a little bit of learning right now. Yeah, that's it. I think there's 42 years, uh, the difference between the two coaches when they met at the weekend, which was something else, isn't it? Um, but, Manu, you've, you've been at it again. You've been on Twitter. You've been doing your Twitter polls. Um, this week, um, a little bit about um, Goretzka coming into uh, the Bayern squad, uh, meaning that it's it may cause uh, an end to a Bayern career for another midfielder um, in Thiago or Vidal. Chris just pointed out, and I can confirm on SofaScore as well, when I was looking on my stats app, that uh, Vidal seemed to have a, a fantastic game this weekend. But what what are the polls saying? What's your opinion on this? Well, my my thing. Well, this is this was widely reported in Kicker. So Kick the Bayern are looking um, with Goretzka coming in. Either Thiago or Vidal is going to leave at the end of the season. Um, that seems to be the consensus because they have so many midfielders, right? Um, the I put the question to my Twitter users and asked them whether the the club should sell Thiago or Vidal and. 72% said they should sell uh, Vidal, but I mean, Chris is quite right. When, when you, when you look at Vidal's statistics, he's been incredible. And when you look at Thiago, I mean, the, the guy is a great footballer, but he's unfortunately also made out of glass. He's, I don't think he's managed a single season, uh, at Bayern without an injury. And some of the, the seasons were, were significant injuries where he missed more than half a season, right? And Arturo Vidal, he is a hothead, but he's also very reliable. He's, I've seen him a few times now live at the Allianz. And I think he's been incredible since Jopankis came in. And he, he was very good yesterday as well, wasn't he, Chris? Yeah, it was, he, um, it was my man of the match. He was, it was everywhere. Yeah. Obviously, he had a rocky start. Um, they all did. But, you know, after that, he, he was just... He, he was omnipresent, said it a little bit earlier. He's omnipresent and he was relent, he was relentless. He bullied the Hoffenheim midfield. He was pulling the strings, feeding the ball forward, feeding it sideways, feeding it backwards. He, he was just, he was just there. But what he brings, not only is he this big, strong guy that can defend, but when the ball's in the other end of the box, he's, he's a massive threat and he must just be a privilege to coach, I think, because he, he can do it all and, when he's on top of his game, he's brilliant. But you're quite right, Manu. He has got a hot head. I mean, look at him in the Champions League last season. And, you know, both those games against Real Madrid, he lost his head big time. And you could argue that's why Bayern went out in the end. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not sure it's actually nailed down that Thiago will survive Vidal. 
um, at the club because it's the that injury history. And he's Thiago's only played nine times this year, right? Last couple of seasons were a little bit better. He played 27 times and 27 times, so um, a bit more consistent. But in his first year, he only played 16 times. So you almost wonder, right? Um, is I guess Thiago is only 26, so you get a lot more time out of him. But Arturo Vidal brings brings something to the side that's going to be really difficult to replace if he leaves. And that's that edge, that fire, right? And your Pinker seems to be a lot better at uh, managing it than Carlo Ancelotti was um, last season. And yes, Vidal did, Vidal's uh, eventual sending off that cost Bayern that semi-final, but it was also Carlo Ancelotti who forgot to take him off in the first place, which is something Jopanka has never made that mistake. Remember in the Pokal against Leipzig, um, Vidal was off after, you know, he came close to that second yellow card. Heinkes took him straight off. He seems to be just a bit better at uh, managing, um, the fire that Vidal brings to a pitch. And I, I, I personally, I have to admit it. I'm a big Arturo Vidal fan. I even wrote an article on him a few weeks ago. Um, I called it the art of football brutalism because I think he does supply something. That is, that is very, very necessary for a team to be successful, which is that hard edge combined with technical ability and, um, a little bit of leadership. Um, sometimes you need that player that strikes a little bit of fear into the opponent. And Bayern always had players like that when they were successful. I mean, keep in mind, Stefan Effenberg and Van Bommel were two names that, um, that you wouldn't mess with, but could at the same time still play very good football. For me, I would keep him and I'd move Thiago out. And that's purely based, like what Mano said, Bryce, on his on his injury history. I know he's a lot younger. He's a few years younger. But if you're only going to if you're gonna ship Vidal out and keep Thiago and maybe only play 10, 15 matches for the next three seasons on average, um, that's a bit of a waste for me. Keep Vidal for an extra two years, maybe even three at a push because he keeps himself in really good shape. And then look for someone to come along in that time span to replace him. Um, because I don't think he would, um, I don't think, I don't think he would not replace him as such, but you put Goretzka around Vidal in or in and around those areas. I think you've got a really good side. I just think that Vidal's pivotal, especially to the buying side that I watched on Saturday. Yeah. I think that there's a bigger market for Thiago too. You could get a lot of money for Thiago if you sell him. To Barcelona, Paris, or, or one of the the English clubs. Whereas for Vidal, I'm not sure you get them buy and get the money that they spend on him back. Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely something to be said about having one of those harder uh, midfielders, so uh, right in the middle, while you've got then uh, your flair players around. Eh? I, I think there's definitely something to be said for it. Even though Vidal has um, a lot more to offer than just that, doesn't he? But um, guys, let let's move on to another player that we're not sure whether. He's going to stay, or whether whether he's going to go. Uh, but there's plenty of talk, as always, in the transfer windows about him, and that's Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Borussia Dortmund. We've seen uh, Dortmund slip to a third draw in a row over the weekend um, against Freiburg with a late goal, managing it to make it two all. Um, Aubameyang was back in the starting lineup um, controversially. Um, I spoke to you, Manu, about this, didn't I? And I, I wasn't too happy about him being in there, but. Mm. Hence is the way football goes, I suppose. Um, I mean, how was he? And, and what's your thought about him being straight back into the starting lineup? I mean, is is he going now? Is he, is, or is he going to stay? Or 
Oh, so he was actually playing because I didn't notice him. <laughs> no oh, jokes, jokes, I wouldn't jokes say aside. that to him on. I wouldn't say that to him on Twitter anyway. No, but you know, if you if you do what he did in the last little while, I think it's it's just fair that there is criticism towards him. Um, he had one chance ahead of that landed on the on the roof of the of the goal. Um, other than that, he he tried. I mean, he did he did try, um, but he was largely invisible. I didn't I didn't think. I didn't think he had, he, he had, he was very much involved in this game. Um, and I don't know if we, we can really actually blame him entirely for this. I thought that Dortmund lacked creativity throughout and that they were actually, although they bossed possession, they, um, seemingly seemed to dominate Freiburg. They didn't have any idea on how to Crack that nut, um, the, the two defensive lines that Freiburg was putting uh, around the penalty box. And Freiburg were really clever. And I actually felt that every time Freiburg went forward, they were the more dangerous side every single time. And when Freiburg scored that second goal, I pretty much already had my match report finished, written up saying that Freiburg has finally won their first game after uh, 17 years in Dortmund, um, which would have been only the second win in uh, the signaling Duna Park at overall. Um, and then Jeremy Tolian rescued a point. Um, I think, of course, this was scouting for Freiburg, but at the same time, I still feel that this felt like a defeat for Dortmund because the side lacks everything at the moment. They, and it, it starts with this whole Aubameyang affair and, but it ends with the lack of creativity in midfield and the defensive line is an absolute shambles. Um, Nuri Shaheen, the way he lost the ball is one thing, but then, then Björk Birki not tracking back in time is another thing. Um, I, you could see Socrates making these needless runs forward without passing off the ball. It was head through the wall. There is an, this entire squad doesn't seem coherent. And I don't think that's down to the coaches. And I mean, Bosch or Stöger, I think the side is not put together well at the moment. Um, there's a bunch of players adored by the fans and are not in that squad for merit. And then there's a bunch of players who see it as an in-between step to go somewhere else. And um, then there's that group of players that want to be there, very talented, but don't have a voice. And I think that's a, that kind of fragmentation is very visible on the on the pitch right now. And I think that is something that Dortmund need to fix one way or another. But right now, the way the squad is put together, and I said this, I think, in the WhatsApp chat, I think that there is actually, talented-wise, when you just look at the pure talent of this side, they should be competing with Bayern for the championship. But I think, I think there is something very wrong with the atmosphere in the dressing room. And I think there is such a fragmentation inside the dressing room and it, it worked on a Tuchel. It was sort of kept together. And then Bosch and Stöger. Well, Bosch is such a nice guy. He wasn't able to keep it together. And now Stöger has come in, of course, and he's, he's presented with this mess. Uh, you know, I, I imagine it almost like someone spilling Mikado sticks all over the floor and he has to piece it all together and, and, and figure out a squad from all this. And I, 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 I don't know if there is enough time to do this. And, whether selling Aubameyang, that one piece to, to fit it all together again, if, if that's going to work, it's 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 a it's a massive mess at the moment. I feel, and I'm not sure how how to fix it. Um, 
that's that's all the other things aside, right? But that's that's just it for me. That the, the, the squad composition right now just seems completely off. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the uh, Aubameyang, uh, you know, performance the other day, um, he, he's a one shot, failed to get it on target. He's a one cross, incomplete, and he's only had ten passes. Though, as you said, Manu, that's not necessarily his fault. As such, it could be the midfield, which there's a bit of controversy over, wasn't there, with the Nuri Sahin uh, coming into the the starting eleven when people would have expected Weigel to be uh, on there when he was uh, left on the bench. But uh, Chris, I'm, g- I'm going to go to you. We- we've got um, another Twitter question. Um, this is from uh, at David underscore Patch nineteen. Um, he says Dortmund playmakers misused or lack of support. Great question. Um, I'm going to say a bit of both. Um, under Peter Bosch, I think they were misused. And now at the moment, I think they've got a little bit of um, lack of support. I'm in full agreement. You mentioned there about Sahin and Weigel. Um, yes, Julian Weigel, I think maybe if he'd played in that defensive midfield role where Sahin started at, may have been a different game on Saturday. But you've got to remember that Dortmund were at home to Freiburg, not a particularly strong side. Um, and as Manu said, you look at those players who um, Dortmund have got on the pitch, just look at the front three, Sancho, Aubameyang, Pulisic, immense talent throughout the three of them. Kagawa, Castro, Sahin, very talented mid-three, although you could argue does uh, Julian Weigl come in there? Um, you know, Mario Götze, obviously he's not particularly well at the moment, so he's getting back into it. He came on a little bit later, um, a little bit higher. And then, you know, the back isn't too bad at the moment. It's just something is not happening. So for me, it's a little bit of misuse. And I'll, I'll say that Bible should have played on Saturday, especially watching the highlights. Um, and then I'm going to say it's a lack of support. And, and that goes back to what Manu said. This team reminds me at the moment, Manu, of, do you remember the Dutch side in the, I think it was the late nineties or the mm-hmm. um, early noughties where they had um, 23 squad and 23 fantastic individual players, but they couldn't do anything because they were always infighting. Um, and that was the Dutch national side. And th- that's what this reminds me of. Players who aren't happy. So Aubameyang's not happy, uh, and that's evident. And he didn't look happy in the highlights that I saw. So that's going to affect those around him. Um, and it's going to, it's going to cause little breaks inside the changing room, inside the, you know, inside the changing room. So there's going to be sides being taken there, which is very similar to what Holland had a few years back. So, it's also who who comes on Yarmolenko. I, I don't think has settled as well as he should have done. Um, Alexander Isaac is a fantastic prospect, but he's very young. Schurler has been a mistake. I think that was a really bad uh, re- bit of recruitment at the start of um, of the season for Schurler. I don't think he's been particularly good. And yeah. It, it's hard, and I don't think it's Peter Stoger's fault. Some, it was John McKenzie actually said, um, "Is it time? You know, did I think Stoger out? No, not at all. I, I just think that he's he's been asked to settle instantly in a side where he doesn't have any time because this side should be by rights second or maybe even first. Don't forget the the massive gap they had at the start of the season. They certainly shouldn't be sitting in sixth. They should be third or second at the moment. And you could argue that even with um, Bayern's upturn under Heinkes, that they should really still be challenging them. But it just all fell apart for Dortmund. And, and it's been it's been a hard watch, if you like, Borussia Dortmund at the moment. But I don't think it's Stoker's fault. And I'm with you, um, Manu. I think it's, it's above that. 
It's um, Vakra and Zork who maybe haven't brought in who they should have done. And, you know, they themselves criticised the plays today, which uh, which I think was um, was a, a warranted and quite a, quite a valid um, criticism, wasn't it, Manu? Yeah, um, Berkey's, Berkey criticised the fans after the game for, for whistling. And then Zork said... Um, I, I recommend every player to watch the game, the full 90 minutes on either television or laptop. Um, and I'm sure they would have, they would have to be careful not to whistle themselves. <laughs> and I had, I did watch this game. And yes, Freiburg were clever. They really were. And a part of me was even rooting for them to get the win because I thought, I thought that they, the match plan worked very well. But when you look at this talented side, they're so fragmented. I love your I love your Netherlands comparison, by the way, Chris. I think that's bang on. That that's exactly what's going on. It's it's a group of individuals right now. Dortmund is not a team, and I think it's really that's the bottom line. But then you look at recruitment, right? Who is in charge of recruitment? Um, where they may be too focused on just finding the next big gem, rather than piecing together a puzzle. And I, the side is. I mean, you look at Sancho, the things that he does at times, it's just beautiful. Same with Polizic, incredible stuff. Um, Kagawa is an artist, but they don't play together. And same with Götz, when he came on, all of a sudden there's the spark. You, you see these passes played out of the, or with the ankle. It's just a beautiful curl passes, beautiful passes played, but it's just, there is no determination. There's no end product. And it's, it's telling that both goals were sort of scored by mistake. And, um, yeah, that Dutch comparison is great. I think that should be even the title of this podcast, uh, B4B, the new Oranje, because that's exactly what's going on. And I think that is down to recruitment. They didn't look, they were too focused on finding Europe's next big gem rather than actually putting together a squad. And that's a, that's a harsh criticism, but I stick with it. And uh, by the look of it this evening, that's what they're going to continue doing, who they've been linked with now. The young uh, guy from Barcelona. Sergio, what's his last name? Bryce Gomez. Sergio Gomez, thank you. Um, yeah, is he is he the right guy to bring in right now to try and drive Borussia Dortmund up the table, or is he one for the next two to three seasons? He's got to be for the future, right? I mean, the kid's uh, seventeen. He's played in the uh, well. Some people may remember his name or. It may, I don't know, it, it may resonate with them after the uh, Under-17 World Cup where he played against England. Uh, they lost 5-2 Spain, but uh, he scored both goals, actually, both the opening goals. So, um, But at the age of 17, sure, surely they couldn't possibly be relying on him or, or expecting him to be an Obamian replacement, uh, I would say. But, um, guys, I just want to ask the question, I mean... We obviously said that you know, there's a lot of troubles, it seems, in the uh, Dortmund dressing room, uh, uh, and hopefully they can iron them out rather soon. But where do you both see Dortmund finishing the end of the season? They've drew the last three games. If they had have won those games, they'd be sitting three points clear in second, which you can say about a lot of teams in a lot of positions. But really, I mean, a nil-nil draw against Wolfsburg. You know, a one-all draw against Hertha, and then a two-all draw against Freiburg. These are games that they should always be expected to win. Uh, let, let's go to you first, Manu. Where, where do you see them finishing on the table if you're to, uh, to take a punt? Right now, sixth. This, this sounds really harsh and they need the Champions League football, but if they play like this with all the things that are going on, how are they going to win games? 
or consistently enough win games to be better than the, the five teams, or sorry, the four teams that are ahead of them in the standings. Um, remember, there's only three Champions League spots left. And yes, Leipzig have been slumping a little bit too, but Frankfurt, Schalke, Leverkusen have been consistently winning games. And Dortmund haven't. So I, 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 I cannot imagine them not finishing a Champions League spot, but that's where I see them finishing right now. What about you, Chris? Um, where do you see Dortmund finishing? Do you see them climbing above any of the teams above them? Right now, I am in full agreement with Manu. I think they'll finish sixth. And I go that by, by Leverkusen are playing a lot more exciting football. They look like a team. Schalke look like a team. Even Eintracht Frankfurt, who I've watched twice now within the last week, they look like a team, although their football isn't the prettiest. It's getting results. I, I think they are where they are. The table doesn't lie. And I can see them fighting out with Leipzig and Gladbach for one of those two Europa League slots. Yeah, not so good for Dortmund. Then I suppose my follow-up question, which um, I'm going to turn around and say, um, next time out, they're going to be playing on the Friday night game uh, away to Cologne. Cologne obviously have a little bit of uh, momentum. I think Cologne are, are good for a draw here. Um, how do you guys feel if we just uh, quickly answer this one before we move on? I think Cologne will be good for a win on that price at home. They'll be up for that. Wow. Especially yeah. against Stoger, eh? It's the 2nd of February. At least we will have some conclusion on what happens to Aubameyang. But Köln are fighting for their lives and Dortmund are doing something. It's it's not playing football um, as a unit. So I, um, we might get this massively wrong, but I, I think Chris might be right. I think Köln could aim for all three points there. Well, that'd be massive for Cologne, wouldn't it? Um, uh Guys, so uh, let's uh, move over to another club in a bit of uh, turmoil at the moment in Stuttgart. We pointed out previously how they had struggled um, after a very bright start. Um, they've lost their last two games and we've finally seen them uh, part ways with uh, Hans Wolf. Um, Manu, what does this mean from? Do you think um, changing coach at this time is the right move for them? Uh, I mean, he did lead them to promotion. Bryce, I had such high hopes ahead of the season for Stuttgart. I'm a big fan of Reschke. I did an article for Breaking the Lines and uh, on Reschke, and I had such high hopes with the things that they were doing, the players that were bringing in, a young and exciting coach. And unfortunately, Stuttgart are Stuttgart, and they always seem to fire their coach at this point of the season. Remember, they did it last year too even when they got promoted and it's just I don't know I don't know what it is up with Swabians uh, they seem to be very good at saving money but they're not good when it comes to building football teams long term because this is a move that makes no sense for me yes they, they didn't win many games lately but they're still three points ahead in the relegation spot I feel that Hannes Wolf as a coach is a good coach he's a tactical very good coach I feel that they, with Mario Gomez coming in they made the right signings and I think that he de- would have deserved n- at least another game uh, against Wolfsburg because, you know, if you win against Wolfsburg, then things look very different. And I think that's, that's beautiful, beatable opponent for them. So I'm, I was very surprised. There was, there was suggestions yesterday that this could happen already. And then they had a long out discussion and they, w- they went into this, the, into the uh, meeting 50-50 on whether Wolf is going to stay or not and um, came out with Wolf being fired and Reschke actually protected, tried to protect Wolf. 
the president Dietrich, he's um, a very good businessman. He's not a football specialist. And I think it showed with this decision. I, I personally think it's the wrong choice. And I hope that because, I, again, I have high hopes for Stuttgart. Chris, we've both been to the stadium. It's a fantastic place to watch football. And it's it's a kind of city that I hope that one day um, could return to the Champions League because Stuttgart is such a great place in terms of football. But that is a club that's not making good decisions at times. And I think that's there's because there's too many people that are very good at business, but very poor at making football decisions, making too many big decisions in this club. Excellent place. Awful Wi-Fi. <laughs> first world problems, eh, Chris? I suppose, I suppose the cakes were bad as well at half time. <laughs> well, there was just a pretzel at half time, but let's let's not go into that. But when you're trying to do a match report and, and your Wi-Fi goes down, it's quite wow. it's quite bad. I mean, don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for the data analyst sat next to me that had to call <laughs> all his data transfers in by phone. What a nightmare that was for him. But I mean, joking aside, um, they're in a bad situation, aren't they? And you can almost understand why they've done it. Uh, they're sitting 14th place, 20 points. You know, that awful um, relegation slot is only 17, so what, three behind them. And then <laughs> maybe they've got one eye on um, FC Kern because all of a sudden they've got 13 points, points Bryce, and um, they could be on the ascendancy and, and Stuttgart. <sighs> when I went to see them just before Christmas, before the Christmas break, uh, the winter break uh, against Bayern, I thought they played all right in uh, in patches, but it was the quality wasn't really there. And you know, maybe if they finish 14th, if they finish um, in May where they are now, I think that's a good season if you're returning to the Bundesliga. It's a, it's a season you can build upon and maybe look to finish 12th the season after that and then look to bring in different players and maybe push on and finish 10th. They're not one of these sides that's going to go from 14th um, or be promoted and go straight into, you know, Champions League football. If they've had one eye on what RB Leipzig have done, then uh, you know they're in dreamland because they haven't they haven't approached the, the game the same way that Leipzig did. So I suppose only time will tell. But I can understand why they've done um, what they've done and why they've sacked Wolf. But it's who do they bring in really that's going to drag them out of that? Who's available right at this second that can come in and change it without? getting a coach from the league below which works sometimes and you know unfortunately doesn't not everybody's a Dominic Tedesco no definitely not um Manu have we heard who's going to come in and replace them or have you got any ideas who would be a good replacement well I, I can only do what everyone else is doing which is um speculating um which the names that have come up is uh, David Wagner from Huddersfield, uh, Typhoon Korkut. Remember him, guys? Oh, what? Guys. No <laughs> way. Might as well give wow. it to me. I, I, I'd be just excited to have him back just for you to struggle pronouncing his name. Um, oh, Bryce. I'm not having that again. I'm not having that. That would have been the, the perfect blooper reel, I think, uh, last season. But uh, that, um, that podcast had to be registered um, over 18 only that week, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Thank you for that, Chris. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but yeah, Slaven Bilic, uh, oh, I remember okay. him. He's another one. And um, Heidenheim's coach, um, Frank Schmidt, uh, who I personally don't, I can't see that happening because Frank Schmidt is on a lifelong contract at Heidenheim. 
um, yes, those things exist. Um, he actually has an unlimited contract there and he's been there for ages. He's, he is the club. So I don't, uh, I, he would be a good fit because he's, he's from the region, but I, I just can't see him, um, going for that. So I guess we'll see, but yeah, Typhoon Korkut, I'd be shocked. I, I think that would be a bad decision. Um, for all those who want to know why, listen back to our Bayer Leverkusen podcast from last week. There's a few and, um, I just can't see that happen. But I mean, David Wagner, if he does give up his Huddersfield job, this, this, I could actually see him do it for this one because Stuttgart is a great city, big city. There's a lot of money, um, there. And he would be working with a fantastic sporting director. Interesting. We'll have to see what happens there in the next few days. But uh, a side that has benefited from a coach change, um, is Hamburg actually, who managed to get a 1-1 draw away to RB Leipzig, which is a pretty good result. That's the result of uh, Coach Burns Hollerback coming in. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we always joke, don't we, about that clock in the ground, um, that relegation um, clock looking down on the players. But uh, this week it seemed to be a, a good thing for them. Though in saying that, the other relegation candidates all seem to get a draw in Werner Bremen and Cologne. Um Chris, a bit of a, a new coach bounce, it would seem? What, a draw? I don't know. I mean, if you look back now, I think that's more an opportunity missed for Leipzig to be two points further on the table, which would put the, you know, I think, can we call it joint second um, on goal, just, just behind on goal difference. It's not looking good for Hamburg. I still think that this is the season for them. Um, they're falling behind now. I mean, look, they're only three points behind, uh, sorry, they're only three points in front of Cologne, and you know, if we predict what we predicted earlier, which is Dortmund are in a bit of a mess and Cologne are in the ascendancy, um, they could be with, let's say they beat Cologne, uh, sorry, let's say they beat Dortmund 2-0, um, on Saturday morning, Hamburg will be rock bottom. Wow, that would be something else, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, we never would have predicted this just a few match days ago, but um, things are getting very exciting down the opposite end of the uh, table, aren't they, Manu? Yeah, they are. And I mean, it's, it's not the Hamburg result. I actually think that a point against Leipzig is not enough because Leipzig have been struggling quite a bit. Sim- some similar issues to to Dortmund playing wise, of course, Leipzig is struggling because, uh, Forsberg is out and, um, long term and they now on Paulsen, I believe is out long term too. So they're now looking actually into, um, oh, I forgot Halsenberg, sorry, Halsenberg as well. So they're actually looking into bringing someone in because the squad is very thin, which is something we discussed, right? So I think actually Hamburg missed an opportunity there to win. So I'm with Chris, um, 100%. Um, Werder, I watched that game against Hertha and, uh, those are 90 minutes that I went back. Uh, it was a poor game. I spent most of that game discussing VAR and um, why VAR was correctly used. And I got into an argument with a couple of Werder Bremen fan accounts. And uh, fortunately for me, I got the backing from the biggest uh, refereeing Twitter account there is out there, um, which is Colinas Erben. And uh, I said that the VAR was correctly used in this. And they said exactly the same thing. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was the right decision because actually when I watched this on replay, and I'm curious to hear what you think, Chris, I thought the yellow card and Colinas Erben says, yes, yellow card was the correct decision on, on the elbow. But when you go up like that and the elbow goes out, that's borderline red for me. Um, 
I, I think it was correct that they called it back, but I think they could have maybe even turned this into a red card. Um, and which of course would have even angered the Werder Bremen fans even more. Oh, yeah, you lead with your elbow. It's, um, it's a red card for me all day. Um, so yeah, they're very lucky, but that's what VAR was brought in for, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not to look at everything in such minor detail and there's a few problems in England with it over the, uh, over the weekend. Um, and it, it's teething, but when it's right, I, I find it hard for people to argue against it as in, oh, well, you know, it's been pulled back there and it shouldn't have been well, quite clearly it should because it works. Yeah. And that's it. And it seems like, uh, across the water, England seem to be enjoying VAR at the moment as well, don't they? So it's, um, hot topics as always, but, Guys, I think that more or less does it uh, for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, we've managed to cram in quite a bit, haven't we? But uh, it seems like more entertaining um, spots seem to be away from Bayern Munich and more towards the middle and bottom of the table. Um, Manu, what have you got going on this week? You always have plenty going on. Um, we have three days left in a transfer window, so I think that's what we are going to mostly focus on. But yeah, Golazzo podcast back on Monday, recording Football Grad on Tuesday, and um, the the usual articles, um, you know, coming your way on on at Football Grad Live. Yeah, there's always plenty going on at Football Grad Live accounts on Twitter. And Chris, what have you got going on this week? Anything you'd like to draw people's attention to? Um, well, obviously, I'll be covering the um, Friday night game, um, Cologne against Dortmund, and then one of the Saturday games. Um, Although we do have a better Sunday, don't we, next week? Slightly better Sunday. Um, I certainly won't be watching Hamburg against Hanover, Bryce, after this weekend. Um, but I wrote an article which is on Football Stat, which is uh, why the Bundesliga seems to be looking at England at the moment um, for its youth talent. And why is that youth talent not really getting the opportunity in England? So I wrote a little bit about that. And then I've got all the... Um, match reports and live blogs which you can look back over from this weekend and that's all at fushballstar.com yeah, Very good and yeah, as you said we've got some uh, interesting games coming up next week you're obviously going to be covering the Cologne versus Dortmund one uh, we've all predicted that things will probably go well for uh, Cologne but uh, even the late kickoff on Saturday Gladbach versus RB Leipzig that could be an exciting one as well but um, that more or less does it for this week guys uh, Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you have a moment, please head over to the likes of iTunes and give us some uh, positive feedback. We'd really appreciate that. And yeah, send us a tweet. Any of us a tweet. You know, you feel free to ask some questions. We'll, we'll try and discuss them on the podcast or get back to you on Twitter. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And until next week, I'll be your Zen. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.